0: Hello everyone, it's Christoph Trapp, Chief Content Officer at Buildings.com and Interiors and Sources, still at AIA in Las Vegas, still sharing some of the news we run across, some of the trends, some of the new products. And for this episode of the show, I'm joined by Michael Armstrong. He's the CEO at NCARP. Michael, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And I don't know if you guys know this, but the parent company of Buildings and Interior Sources, almost a hundred years old. That's Staymates, So, 100 years, and you guys have, uh, you guys are a couple years ahead of us. That's right.
1: We are turning 100 this year, uh, in 1919. 13 states had created state licensing boards to practice architecture. They got together and said, we should create a national organization to promote a uniform approach across state boundaries to regulating architects and architectural practice. So out of that original idea, grew NCARB over the last 100 years, and now we are the consortium of state and territorial governments that offers uh, an exam an experience framework, an education standard to guide the states on the legal approach to um, the regulation, the licensure of architects, and the oversight of architects post licensure in terms of disciplinary action, certification for um, reciprocal licensure, and also increasingly being a thought leader in the profession.
0: Yeah, great. So as you know, we have uh, building owners and facility managers and interior designers mostly. There's, uh, of course, architects reading interiors and sources and and listening to the show as well. Um, But talk about what you do. um, How does it impact those groups? Well, you know, I think
1: that it's important for the general public and building owners and those that care about the built environment to know there's some assurance that an architect has a has a background that qualifies them to protect the public, and this is true also for the finance industry, for the insurance industry, and for the general population. I think there's a, an assumption and an assurance that architects are trained to protect us.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I mean, people probably just assume, right? They do. The
1: time, most people, and we just actually just did a, a poll recently on this, most people don't know the rigor that goes into pursuing an architectural license. Yeah. Most people um, think it's a good idea that architects are licensed. They don't realize that the rigor behind licensure is probably more intense than other professions, and it's because if you make a mistake with a building, it can fall down or otherwise injure you, whereas making a mistake in some other areas may not be as um, life-threatening. So. I think that our conversation is expanding to be more directly involving these other constituencies. We are in conversation with the interior design community about the role of regulation and the role of licensure. Our counterpart organization, the Council for Interior Design Quality, CIDQ, um, supports licensing boards that frequently uh, include architects and interior designers on the same board. So these Disciplines which have always been adjacent to each other are more than ever in the same room having the same conversation about licensure and regulation.
0: Very important, of course, to always communicate across. What other trends have you seen that, that are that are good to share with our audiences? Well, several years ago, we
1: created a futures task force. Yep. And that task force was populated with individuals that might normally not be at the NCAR table Um, individuals that might be very much in the thick of a large firm in New York City or um, a cutting-edge use of artificial intelligence that may not represent your typical licensing board member. We wanted to make sure that additional voices were at our table to help educate us on the evolution of architectural practice. And if architectural practice is evolving, shouldn't the regulation also evolve? how should it evolve and how can we evolve it in an effective way unless we know what's really going on around the country and around the world. And so this futures task force has been designed to pose uncomfortable questions Mm -hmm. or perhaps offer inconvenient truths about what's (laughs) really occurring versus what we think is occurring or to make it more clear that the approach to practice of architecture is very diverse. It's not as uniform as some people think. Not all the same tools are being used in all places, and not even the same definitions are being equally applied. One example being responsible control. How does one review their role as a licensed architect in overseeing a project and how much is deferred or, or delegated versus how much is hands-on? There is not unanimity or consensus around this issue.
0: So how do you evolve? I mean everything is changing so quickly, right? How do you how do you get there? How do you How do you stay ahead? Well, first of all, we
1: keep in mind that we are very much anchored to our membership, which are state licensing boards Mm -hmm. appointed by governors, governed by state statutes that are adopted by state legislatures, Mm -hmm. who are largely not architects, and that their role is to protect. Their role is to create enough rigor to create confidence that the consumer can be protected by the architect. So as creative and, and, and uh, as uh, imaginative as we want to be, we have to make sure we're anchored in that reality of what a state licensing board needs from us. Yeah. So that's a starting point. But having said that, um, we are charged with creating an exam and creating an experience program that all of our state and territorial members use. We create an education standard which tries to reflect best practices in architectural education. And so through surveys and focus groups and volunteer organizations and think tanks, we try to keep gathering data. We keep trying to get information that represents, that is representative of trends. So we are constantly modernizing, tweaking and evolving all of our programs, not on an annual basis because that would be too exhausting to our state boards, But in the past three to five years, we have totally revised and overhauled our exam and our experience program. We've made it um, more contemporary in terms of the language we use. We've framed it in more relevant um, approaches in terms of simulating actual practice of architecture. We think we are providing providing a more relatable process to the average candidate for licensure. And then we are um, at our board of directors level, having what we call regular blue sky or generative discussions about where do we go next? How do we stay in a proactive rather than reactive posture? And that's a lot of work. It's much easier to react than plan ahead. But we are uh, planning already to do our next survey of uh, the architectural community called the practice analysis, where we gather data, we do analytics, and our analysis is then handed off to our volunteers to then recommend changes to our programs. The process takes three years. The implementation could take another four to five years. That's what caused our exam and our experience program to change in the last three years. So we're getting ready to do that again. That will be a huge lift that it will, it will give us thousands of data points that we will be using for years to come.
0: Very interesting. So uh, we, didn't, we didn't talk about this question ahead of time. So if you don't know the number, We'll uh, we'll write it in there later somehow. Um, How many, so what's like the, the, how many people pass the exam? Like, you know what I mean? Like, how many people, um, as they're trying to become an architect, pass or fail? Do you know? Top of your
1: head? Yeah. We have 5,000 a year, roughly, that pass the exam. Okay. Um, And the pass rate per exam division varies. Okay. Uh, The exam, um, is isn't designed to be really easy or super hard. Um, We do um, measure the performance of the exam, and we make sure that the exam questions are relevant. Um, We regularly refresh the pool of our questions. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: And we have a pretty healthy pipeline of people going through the exam. And 5,000 is enough (coughs) to (coughs) have... um, to have a good flow of new architects in the the
1: country? Well, we think right now that while there is some concern about the retirement of the baby boom generation and the pipeline into the profession, the truth is is that all the baby boomers aren't retiring at once. Right. Firms right now are hiring. Um, We are at record levels in terms of how many people are taking the exam, how many people are um, collecting experience credits. Um, we've seen no significant tapering off in terms of the pipeline. Um, enrollment in architecture schools is staying roughly even, although there's an increasing percent of foreign students. So, But more people are choosing licensure than they did several years ago. Now, that ebbs and flows with the economy. Right now, the economy is really healthy. So every uh, more people are pursuing licensure. But the pipeline from our... Metrics is strong, and and we don't see that changing in the foreseeable future.
0: Very interesting. Uh, to wrap to this episode up, um, how about trends at AIA? What have you seen? Anything that's struck out so far as you're walking around? I mean, it's a big show floor. It is. And it, it's really hard to see things. You know, I I have a meeting every 30 minutes with different people. Uh, so of course, I've seen acoustics. There's different things out there. How do you um, Combine right. acoustics and also the look. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, all kinds of different things. I can't even remember without looking
1: at my right. notes. <laughs> well, I think one of the things that the Institute is especially focused on is the role of the architect in, in being a change agent around how we address climate change, how we address sustainability and resilience. And I know that um, the blue, blue Ribbon Panel Report, which is being unveiled today as we speak, talks to the role of the architect in influencing codes in influencing the idea of what is health, safety, and welfare, and how elements of environmental protection and and protecting the planet need to be called out more specifically and embedded in every step, and NCARB is prepared to do its part. Uh, We've had a task force or work group, I should say, on resilience. Um, We are looking at how we can um, bump up um, some of our exam questions and experience requirements to call out issues around the environment and and we understand that we have to move from a rhetorical conversation to a deliverable conversation and that also means how do you drive clients to demand this kind of construction and this kind of architecture what's the role of codes what's the role of the marketplace in demonstrating cost effectiveness and what does this look like in architectural school curriculum what does it look like in an exam question so we're at the beginning of a conversation that is long overdue, and some feel, people feel like they've been having this conversation for years, but now is the time for action, and we anticipate the Institute is going to want to uh, have a, a big voice in this, and so that's a trend I hear coming out of this conference.
0: Very interesting. Michael Armstrong, CEO of NCARB, thanks for joining us. Uh, really appreciate it. If you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, etc., feel free to check us out buildings.com. And interiors and sources Thanks everyone for listening. Okay.